Hi there, welcome to Glenlyden Baptist Church's podcast network. We're glad you can join us today. If you'd like more information on the church, please visit us on our website, www.gebc.org.nz. We hope you enjoy the pod. Hey, um, if, uh, if you didn't see the email this week, um, we are going in the book of Ephi- uh, Revelation. Um, and uh, this is a fun book, a difficult and fun book. Um, but I sent out, I emailed out a, a sheet which would help you try to understand at least some of the interpretive stuff around Revelation. And if you didn't get that, we've got 20 copies down the back. You're welcome to grab one of those and take them home um, and to do that, which would just help you as we, as we unpack Revelation. Um, and because uh, some of you won't agree with me, um, and I might not agree with you, Revelation is one of those books. Um, but we're going to do our best to be faithful to it. That's what we need to do. And we must remember that when we get into any book of the Bible, uh, context, context, context is the thing that's so important. Context, context, context. Um, And when we think about that, we think about the day that John wrote it and who he's writing it to. Context, context, context. So let's get to it. Uh, 1986, I was a young, wiry, strong, handsome Young golf, prof- handsome young golf professional who met a very beautiful, very beautiful woman who worked in travel, my wife Sarah. She's still very beautiful, by the way. And I remember clearly, like um, in 1986, um, I was playing a, the uh, golf tournament. I think it was the PGA Championship down in Tauranga. And um, Sarah had come down to watch me play. And I remember going up to her one day and I gave her a big hug. I remember it clearly. I remember the room. I remember the moment. I remember everything about it. I squeezed her as hard as I could. And she used to sort of like, oh, it's too hard. You know, but I squeeze it really hard. And I say, baby, every day I'm going to squeeze you like this and tell you I love you. Well, you know, it's 36 years later. <laughs> I think most days we say I love you. I think we do that. The squeeze, probably that big squeeze you haven't had for... Come here, babe. <laughs> Come here, babe. Come here, babe. Oh, God. <laughs> I love you, baby. There we go. That's a reminder for me to do that again every day. All right. <laughs> you know, the thing about um, a relationship, a marriage relationship or anything like that, that... You know, when you first come together, there's those, um, that excitement that happens when you, when you first meet and, and that love that brews in that space. And, and I remember when I met Sarah, it was kind of like, it was electric. And, and I thought to myself, this is it. She's the one. I knew from the moment I met her, this is the one that I will spend my life with. And you, and you know, to have a relationship of 36 years like this, it, it, you've got to work at it. Right? To keep that first love stirred up, yeah? You've got to work at it. And this is a little bit what John's on about today. In the letter to the Ephesians, he's talking about their first love. And somehow they lost it. So let's let's set the tone as we rifle into the book of Revelation, shall we? First thing I want you to understand is this. It's really important you understand this. The book of Revelation is not about the ethpost card you carry around in your pocket. The book of Revelation is about Jesus. It's Jesus who does the revealing 
in the book of Revelation, and it's Jesus who's the object of the book of Revelation. Okay, so it is about Jesus. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4 to 8, I'm going to read it to you in a moment. And when I do, I want you to listen for these things because it sets the tone. It's, the, it's kind of like the encore. It's the, it's the, you know, what do you eat before you have the main meal? It's the entree. It's the entree. It's, 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 it's setting the tone for the book of Revelation. And, and, and in these verses, it says this. It says that Jesus, number one, is the faithful witness. That Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. That Jesus is the ruler over the kings of the earth. That Jesus has freed us from our sins and that Jesus will come again. Now, I'm going to read it out to you and I want you to listen for them. Are you ready? Okay. John's greeting to the seven churches. Revelation 1, verses 4 to 8. This is a letter from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. From the sevenfold spirit, I'll explain that in a minute. From the sevenfold spirit before his throne and from Jesus Christ. He is a faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes and amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, the one who was, the one who's still to come, the Almighty One. Amen. amen. There we go. Did you catch it all? This is about Jesus. He's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. He's freed us from our sins. He is coming again. It's about Jesus. He does the revealing. He's the object of the book of Revelation. So you might be asking yourself immediately, who are these seven spirits? Good question. Go home and check it out. <laughs> the number seven in the Bible, right, gives us this idea of completeness. Of perfection, right? It's kind of this, it refers to that kind of thinking. So, you know, maybe John, the writer, drew on that a little bit, or is it more likely because in the book of Revelation, there's hundreds, over 600 references to the Old Testament, to the prophetic word and imagery and animals and all sorts of stuff. So maybe John's drawing off that imagery, which maybe came from Zechariah Chapter 4, verse 10, which says, Who dares despise the day of small things, since the seven eyes of the Lord that range throughout the earth will rejoice when they see the chosen capstone in the hand of Zerubbabel. The number seven, and, and this is my conclusion here, the number seven doesn't refer to quantity, but to quality. The number seven doesn't refer to quantity, but to quality, the Holy Spirit, which I believe it refers to, is perfect. So here, and so in Revelation 1, 4 to 5, we get this reference to the Trinity, where we hear about God, we hear about the Spirit, or they're called the seven spirits, and we hear about Jesus. Let me read it to you one more time. 
to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ. There's this reference to God, the Spirit, and Jesus. And I believe the seven spirits are referring to the perfectedness of the Holy Spirit, a reference to the Trinity. Now, some of you will have a different thought on that, but I believe that's where it sits. This letter is written to the church in Ephesus. And when it's written to the church, every member of the church in Ephesus has a responsibility to respond to this letter. So as, as we're going through this, each and every one of you has, an, has a responsibility to respond to what's being said here. The letter was not written to us, but it was written for us. It's kind of like we're tapping into someone else's email. We're getting into their letter. And so you will hear things in this letter that will challenge you. And if the shoe fits, ah, you wear it. You wear it. Ask yourself this question as we go through. Have you abandoned your first love? Ask yourself this question. Do you have everything but the main thing? Here's what the Spirit says to us through this love note that Jesus wrote to the church in Ephesus. Now, just for clarification, as we get into this letter, you will hear some things around um, what it is. Oh, let me read it to you so it's much easier this way. Okay. Back into Revelation. So you're going to hear, as we go into Revelation, a reference to the seven stars and the seven golden lampstands. So just to clarify what that is, it's clarified actually for us in Scripture. It's very, very clear. And it says this in um, Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, And therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later, the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. All right? So understand that. Seven stars are the angels. So each one of these churches that have, been, have a letter written to them have an angel over them. And the seven churches, the seven churches are the seven lampstands. And I always love this reference, don't you, when you go back into the book of Matthew, of um, you, know, you don't have a, a, a light, your lampstand. You don't put it on a hill and then cover it with a bushel. You let it shine. And so there's this reference to, to the church. The lampstand is a church, and there's angels over it. So these things will challenge you. So here we go. We are going to read to you from Revelation 2, verses 1 through to 7. If you've got your Bibles, follow along. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars. We're talking about the angels over the churches in his right hand. And the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands, the churches. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. 
But this is in your favor. So you hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give you fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. Here's a picture of the church in Ephesus. I think this picture in so many ways shows us actually why today so many churches might be in decline. It's not only a picture of the church, but it's a picture of individuals who somewhere along the way have allowed the good to replace the best in their spiritual lives. It's not that this has happened to our church. I'm not saying that. I believe God is here. His presence is powerful here. I think he's working, working in our midst. However, we must be on guard. Corporately, individually, against losing that passion, that first love that we had when we first fell in love with Jesus. We must guard against becoming what the church was in Ephesus. So this is a prophetic word. It's a preventative word. God does not want us to become like Ephesus. He doesn't want it. And so I'm kind of, I'll sum up this letter in three, three, three points. First, that Christ commends them, Christ counsels them, and then Christ cautions them. So let me read to you from verses 2 and 3 again. Get nice and clear on this. I should just leave my Bible open. It'd be much easier. All right. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So he commends them. Jesus commends them. The church in Ephesus understood who they were in Christ. They knew how to walk with Christ. They knew how to engage in spiritual warfare. If you read Ephesians, you know that Paul for two years battled with them in Ephesus. And they faced hardships of many kinds. And they went shoulder to shoulder. And they had victory in that place. And if you know anything about Ephesus, it was because Paul was preaching there and it caused a riot because the silversmiths were afraid that they were going to lose their business of making idols because everyone was leaving the temple to listen to Paul. And they were, so they kicked up a riot. And so there was a great hard time in Ephesus. But they had battled in spiritual warfare. Their problem was not their failure to understand the Bible or good doctrine, their, their problem was not that they lacked perseverance. The church ex- existed during what, what this is one of the most difficult times in Christian history for them. They'd refused to bow their knee to Caesar. They had stood firm in the midst of persecution. The church in Ephesus wasn't idle. They had their kids' programs and their youth programs, and they had joy ministries out the back, and you know, they had their worship team, and they, they, had, you know, they weren't idle. Their calendar was full. Of activity. And not only were they busy for the Lord, but they understood false teaching in their midst. And they had withstood persecution and they had not fainted outwardly. This church is phenomenal. It's doing everything right. It's doing everything right. Nothing you notice here goes unnoticed by God. 
He sees them. He knows what's going on. Nothing is unnoticed. When he looks at Glen Eden Baptist, he sees us. And he knows what's going on in this church. He knows each and every one of you. He knows your life. But here's the point. Works, understanding Scripture, persevering, it's not enough to please God. He wants more than outward compliance. This is why after commending them, Jesus goes in and begins to counsel them. And he says this in verses 4 to 5. It starts with this, but I have this against you, he says. You have lost your first love. He goes on in verse 5. Consider how far you've fallen. Repent. Do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Jesus is imploring them. He's counseling them, drawing them back to that first place of first love. Keep Jesus first in your heart. They'd lost their passion. The hunger for Christ, the passion and love that had motivated them, that had burned within their hearts, had given way to a lack of enthusiasm and zeal. You might identify with that as you sit there. You might go, the last three to four years have knocked it out of me. I've lost my enthusiasm, my zeal for Christ. And what happens when we lose that zeal, that first love? We, we slip into a mechanical form of Christianity. It contains all the externals, but it lacks the internal. It lacks the internal passion that once stirred our hearts, that moved us to love Christ. We begin to focus on form instead of the substance of our faith. We become infatuated with knowledge, maybe, instead of holiness, meaning that what we know becomes more important than who we are. The sense of awe that we had, you know, when we first met Jesus? You remember it? You remember that sense of awe? It was consuming, wasn't it? It's lost. It gets lost. And you remember that sense of awe? It drove you to, to tell your friends and everyone else that you'd met Jesus? You remember that? It was so easy. I've met him. I met Jesus. What, you crazy person? Yeah, man, Jesus is cool. He's changed my life. But when you go cold, then the evangelistic zeal disappears as well. You begin to see the world as an enemy instead of a place for mission. We become concerned with our comfort, don't we? Instead of the salvation of those who need Christ. When this happens, the church becomes inwardly directed instead of outwardly projected. And so the church goes cold. It goes cold. And we freeze over like being put into a freezer. <laughs> if we stay cold, we'll freeze up. We become insensitive to the Holy Spirit. We become dull to the small sins that distract us in our lives. They don't, we don't notice them anymore. We just go through the motion. We're satisfied to live at odds with other 
Christians and we bring division into the church. And, but when we passionately are in love with Jesus, then we're sensitive to the grieving of the Holy Spirit, aren't we? But when we become cold, we lose the sensitivity. Gossip, pride, jealousy, bitterness, host of other ungodly things are allowed to dwell in us because we're insensitive to how much these things displease Christ. And they do. We become content with what we are instead of being driven to be more like Jesus. We allow other things to sit on the throne of our lives. What's the Spirit saying to you this morning, church? What's he saying to you? Have you become unwilling in recent times to give your all to Jesus? Friends, Christ never asked to be a part of our lives. He, he asked for all of it. He, he never asked for a place in our hearts. He, he asked for absolute rule and reign in our hearts. He never asked to be one of our many passions he asked to be the all-consuming passion of our lives. It's a dangerous thing to go through the motions of being a Christian without the passionate love for Christ. It's dangerous. Let's not become content with less than God's best for what he has for us. What Jesus wants for us is to love him just as he loves us. He wants us to return to that first love. Today, Jesus is saying, remember from where you've fallen and return to the life to which you've been called in Christ. And then lastly, Jesus goes on and he cautions them. He says, if you don't repent, if you don't repent, and if you don't return to your first love, then I'm going to remove the fire from your soul. I'm going to remove the lampstand from amongst the lampstands. The saddest thing is when a church shuts down because it's lost its fire. So he cautions them to repent. We don't want him to take his hand off the church. We don't want him to do that. And we don't want to go through the motions here. Well, what we aim for here is, is a deep personal engagement with Christ when we gather. And that you would carry that through the week. What a tragic picture when a church goes cold. A tragic picture when you can think of just people going through the motions without, living, without the living God in their midst. That's a dead church. The passion of the church will never be any greater than the collective passion of each one of us. If we're on fire for Christ, that passion will be reflected when we gather, yes? Don't get me wrong, there's passion here. Man, you know, if I go to the back of the room when we're worshipping, man, this place is on fire. I know you guys love Jesus. If we grow cold in our love for Jesus, that coldness will be evident when we come together. And this is why this letter written to the Ephesians, it's addressed to the church, yes, but it's addressed to the individual as well. Verse 7, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Are you hearing it, church? To the one who is victorious, 
finding that first love, coming back into that relationship, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. Eternal life is yours, which will have you in the paradise of God. Isn't that exciting? When we hear what Jesus is saying and we respond, he gives us the right to eat and to have life with him in this restored heaven and earth that's coming. So let's wrap it up. I believe God is asking us, as he did the church in Ephesus, to remember who we once were when we first came to Christ. It's a wake-up call. He's counseling us to come back because if we don't, then he will remove the church. Come back to that first love we had for Jesus. Go back to that moment when you first met him. Remember the love you felt, the stirring in your heart, the adoration you had for Jesus. We must repent and return to him. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Let's do just as Jesus asked the church in Ephesus and repent. Let's repent of our sin. Let's repent of the fact that we allowed our first love to grow cold. Let's repent of just going through the motions. I'm going to ask you something. I'm being quite stirred at the moment. <laughs> but I want to ask you something. Um, it's a bit like baptism. I'll ask you two questions. Number one, do you want to journey with Jesus with that stirring of that first love and a fire in your belly? Do you want this church to be a church that's not about just the motions, but about a church that submits to the presence of Christ and to the move of the Spirit? Then stand with me. Let's stand. Let's stand. Wow. If you can't stand, it's okay to sit. Sometimes the Spirit of God does that too. I want to pray over, the, over you all this morning. I want to pray over you all this morning.
Jesus, thank you for the reminder this morning we've had of a church in Ephesus that looked so good yet had lost their love. We're declaring before you this morning, Jesus, as we stand together, we are declaring, Lord, that we love you. Lord, that we want the fire to burn bright within each one of us. Lord, we want that first love to stir in our souls again, Lord, that we might walk with the passion that we remember and the awe that we had for you. Lord, we declare it this morning that that's what we want. We declare by standing together this morning, Lord, that this is a church that will submit to Christ and to the presence of the Spirit. Lord, we will do what you call us to do. We will go where you call us to go. We will say what you call us to say. But Lord, we declare this morning, and let's say together, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. We declare that this morning, Lord. And Father, as we stand here this morning, we go, we find our hope in you. Lord, we understand that we are transformed by you. Lord, we know that we are empowered through you to change this world. And so, Fathers, we go today. Burn that flame in us, Lord. Burn, burn, burn. We go with the passion of Christ in us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you, church. Have a great week. Thanks again for joining with us today. If you'd like to know more information on the church or reach out to one of the pastors, please visit our website, www.gebc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day.